Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. The confession is from Colossians 3, 12, and 13. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Life in a fallen world is hard. Relationships among fallen people are hard. Together, they often leave us exhausted, discouraged, and tempted to be cynical. The reality is we cannot live among sinful people and not be sinned against. We cannot live with people without seeing their true hearts revealed. So it's understandable that after experiencing hurt and disappointment that often mar relationships, we decide to live in isolation or on the surface in comfortable collection of casual relationships. It's understandable why we may think to ourselves, I've been hurt once and I won't be hurt again. It is understandable why we may even dread the gatherings that accompany church life. It is understandable then why we hide, we hide our, our hurt and refuse to talk about painful topics. It is understandable why we don't want to ask for help or give help when asked. It is understandable, but it's not acceptable. The reality is relationships are hard, but relationships, for every believer, are not a lifestyle option. They are an essential part of God's sanctifying work for his church. Biblical faith is fundamentally relational. It is shaped and driven by two primary communities. First and foremost is community with God, the very reason we were created. But second, and as an outflowing of our relationship with God, is community with one another. God has called us to be in relationship. We are called not only to live in self-sacrificing love of our neighbor, but to also be a tool of God's work of grace in each other's lives. And we are not given a choice of opting out of this. We are relational beings who have been called to lifelong community with God and with others. To try to opt out, to isolate ourselves, or to keep our relationships at a superficial level is to reject God's design for his people. The call to relationships can be overwhelming, but we must not turn from it. Instead, we need to view our relationships through the lens of God's amazing grace. We should be so enthralled with the grandeur of his grace that we cannot think of anything better to do than to be a tool for God's work of grace in the lives of others. God's word has reminded us of our need to confess our sins. Please kneel with me as we confess our sins to God. God's word. Heavenly Father, we are grateful this, for this time. Thank you for calling us to meet with you. 
for hearing our confession and for giving us through Jesus Christ. Oh, that our hearts would be overjoyed because we can meet with the Almighty God and we can receive your grace and mercy and we can hear your words. Please give us faith. Increase our faith to believe what you say is true. Give us the courage to act upon it and to watch you do your mighty work of salvation and grace among your people and among your creation as you are redeeming it for your honor and glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we gather again. Great to be back. And as I considered our last meeting together and was reflecting upon the passage that we've spent some time in, I felt like the last couple of points, especially talking of God as the dread warrior and our song that that should bring about, I felt like we didn't have enough time really to contemplate that and consider what God would have us to know there. So I'd like to spend a few more moments today just wrapping up this passage and those points, talking about the great warrior as our commander-in-chief and the, the sound off, the song of the soldier that we have. So if you reflect upon where we've been the last few times as we've come together, we're talking about Jeremiah and his horrible, awful, terrible, very bad day. It's called his life. He had a ministry which was quite unsuccessful in human eyes. He was obstructed in every way. He was persecuted and oppressed. Yet, he understood that's what God called him to do. God reminded him that he had been appointed to this ministry. It wasn't a choice that Jeremiah made. God called him and appointed it to him. And he had taken him through the drill, the boot camp, the training, in order to prepare him for that life. And he had called him with a message that was not going to be well received nor liked. As we were reminded in our gospel reading, the Pharisees did not like the message of Christ himself, even though it's in red letters. It was not well accepted by those who did not understand God's message and God's plan. So Jeremiah, as he understood what God was doing and that he had been given the words of God, he felt like giving up. He felt like this is too much to bear. This is too much for one man to handle, much like Elijah. Oh, everybody's gone. Except for me, Lord. How often do we feel that way? Oh, it's just us, Lord, against this immense culture, this immense world that does not want to hear, that does not want to understand. And Jesus' words was a gentle reminder when Peter asked, explain this to us. Do we really understand if the world's going to understand, if those who are set against God, 
are going to understand, then the people of God must understand what God is doing. And live in obedience. And live in joyous victory of what God has called us to do. The message he has given us to proclaim. That we might be encouraged to press on. And that's the point where Jeremiah is here. As we come to verse 11 of Jeremiah uh, chapter 20. He's worked through his horrible life. He's complained and cried. We might even say whined about his condition. And yet as he's worked through that. He remembers that who, he remembers who God is. He is that dread warrior. He is that great commander. He is the commander in chief. And he has a track record. That's to be remembered. And upon that memory, Jeremiah begins to see a change of attitude. He reflects, but the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of hosts, who tests the righteous, who sees the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you have I committed my cause. Oh, how uncomfortable these words are to read and hear. Seeking God's consequences, God's judgment upon those who would stand against him. That is not what we would say is a good message. That is not a gracious message. That is not a message that is going to be readily accepted. However, Jeremiah remembered again God's promise that he recorded right at the beginning of his book in chapter, in verse 8, right? That God has pointed me, he has called me, and he has given me a message. It's not my message, this is God's message. And in chapter 19, Jeremiah had gone to another uh, part of town and had proclaimed a very similar message with a very similar response. And so remembering who God is. Remembering that it's his mission. It's God's plan. It's God's message. Encourages Jeremiah to continue on. But he also remembers God's track record. He is that dread warrior. He's been down this road before. He's led his people into battle and seen victory in the past. He may have remembered Joseph when all seemed to be lost, deceived by his brothers, sold into slavery, uh, libeled and slandered and put into prison. And yet, the end of the story, God exalts him to a high position as the way to rescue Israel. And again, as Israel is lost in Egypt, under severe servitude, oppressed as a nation, 
Jeremiah may, may be remembering this great exodus, how God had worked to bring them out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses. Or time and again throughout Israel's history, as the Israelites disobeyed God, God brought them into oppression and captivity of the surrounding nations, but he delivered them when they repented and followed his message and obeyed him. And always that great story of David Goliath, while the whole Israelite army was standing there cowering before this one man, the little shepherd comes and takes God at his word, believing in faith that God will rescue them, and they see the victory. These acts of victory from the dread warrior, greater than Goliath, greater than the Pharaoh of Egypt, greater than any other nation, this dread warrior leads his army of fools, his army of weak individuals, unprepared people into battle and wins the victory for them. So as Jeremiah reflects upon who God is, he realizes that any enemy, any trouble that he might endure is minuscule in comparison to who his God is who called him and whose message he is to proclaim. When he does his list of pros and cons, it's God and everything else. And who wins? God every single time. It may take time. It may take a process. But God brings the victory. God secures the win. Because he is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the one who can part waters and bring them back together. He is the one who can defeat giants and kings. He is the one who can even burn wet altars. That's who our God is. That's who Jeremiah's God. He remembered that. And what great courage wells up within Jeremiah. As Calvin says as he speaks on this passage, the prophet was satisfied with the help of God alone and boldly concluded that they would fall. For it could not be but that God would prove victorious. So whenever then we fight with the world and the devil and his slaves, this ought to be the first place to come to our minds, that God stands on our side to defend our cause and to protect our safety. That being settled, we then may boldly defy both the artifices and the violence of all enemies. For it cannot be but that God will scatter, lay prostrate, overwhelm, and reduce to nothing all those who fight against him. This is the faith by which we are called to live. We need to remember God's promises. And as God assured Jeremiah, I will never leave you, we see that same promise recorded by the writer of the Hebrews. And it had been initiated back in the Pentateuch. This is God's continual promise. I will never leave you nor 
forsake you. Do we believe that, fellow brethren? Brothers and sisters, do we believe God does not leave us stranded, that we're the only ones, that he is the creator, the sustainer, and the winner of the victories? The writer of the Hebrews continues to say, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Does that change your perspective on the moment, on the day, on the week that lays ahead? Does that change our perspective as an overwhelming circumstance comes our way that we know we can't handle on our own? That's exactly the point that Jeremiah wants us to know. That's that's what God wants us to know. That we cannot do it in our own strength. It is his strength. It is God's dread warriorship. His commander in chiefness that makes it happen. As he is the great and mighty God. Right? How easily Romans 8.28 comes off of this. Everything's going to work together for good. So we're hoping for this peaceful copacetic life. But in context that's not what it's telling us. It's telling us that whatever happens, that's the good for those who love God. He continues on there in, in, later on in the, in the uh, verses that it's um, in, starting with verse uh, 35. He talks about how there's nothing that will separate us from God. From his love that's on us and as he's called us and he's uh, prepared us To live this life of his people, we will be well prepared. We will be able to endure because God is our God. Right, that trendy verse, Philippians 4.13. Right, we have it on shoes and clothing. I can do all things, right? Well, I love the, the, the comment. It leaves out the most important part of that verse. I can't do all things. I can only do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And even in that context, Paul is talking about he's learned to live with nothing and he's learned to live with everything. And it doesn't matter where he fits in that continuum. He can do it through Christ. Our circumstances, our situation does not matter. Certainly our emotions will be all over the place. When we are blessed, we'll be excited and happy. And when we're cursed and oppressed, we'll be moaning and wailing and crying. That doesn't mean we're not saved. It doesn't mean God's not with us. It means we're human. Much like Jeremiah was human. Much like Elijah was human. Much like every one of the apostles was human. In our humanity, we are going to fail. We are going to question. We are going to second guess what God is doing. And when we do that, there's a nice message out there running around in culture that we want to cling to. But I will ask you, how uncomfortable was it for us to sing Psalm 10 this morning? As you were chewing on those words, aren't those uncomfortable words? Singing that God's going to bring judgment and consequence on people who stand against him? Oh, that's not it. Forget, forget the musicality of it. That's a challenge of its own. But think of the words we were saying. 
That's a tough, tough message. Would we go out on the street and sing that song? There's a great festival out there. Should we go out on the corner and sing that song? <laughs> that might not be the one we want for evangelism, right? But that's God's word. That's God's message to the world. The heathen, those who stand against God, need to hear that this world, this world will be their only enjoyment if they continue to stand against God. This is as good as it gets. Just think of your last week. Are you happy with that? (laughs) Just think of yesterday, maybe. Are you happy if this is the ultimate of life? What kind of message is it? Is it not then a loving message that we remind, remind others of God's promises that through salvation it gets better than this? There's no longer having the judgment of God coming upon me if I am in Christ Jesus. In the language of this soldiering, this war, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, urging his students on in one of his lectures, said, Brethren, do something. Do something. Do something. I pray you be men of action, all of you. Get to work and quit yourselves like men. Old Savarov's idea of war is mine. Forward and strike. No theory. Attack. Form a column. Charge bayonets. Plunge into the center of the enemy. Our one aim is to win souls. And this we are not to talk about. But to do in the power of God. A soldier reveres and honors the general, their commander, since he has proven himself in battle and gained the soldier's trust. Do we trust our God? Are we going to follow him no matter what? He has proven himself. He has demonstrated that he always wins the victory. We, through Christ, have won the victory. Let us follow our king into battle for the battle wages readily. And as we prepare for that battle, a good soldier always has a song to sing. They sing songs to endure the hardship of being a soldier. They sing songs to recount the accolades of the commander, commander, and they sing songs to rejoice for the victory. And so Jeremiah here in verse 6, 13, after reflecting upon who God is and the victories he has won, cannot help but break out into a song. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the hand of the evildoers. 
Jeremiah must praise God when he remembers God's promises. In fact, he believes as though it has already happened. It's that hope we talk about, right? We don't, it's not just, it might happen, but it has happened and it will happen. And I can, I can know that. No longer is Jeremiah just concerned about what's going on around him, about the stocks, about the beating, about the oppression, about all that has happened in the rejection. But he believes the promise. Jeremiah is assured, even though the day looks dark and the victory looks like it's not winnable, the battle is not winnable, he is now assured that the victory is as good as done. And because of that, he has a grateful, thankful spirit. And a grateful and thankful spirit will sing. This isn't just Jeremiah. We see this time and again. Think of the Israelites once they cross the Red Sea. Miriam leads them in a great song of praise. Jehoshaphat, in one of my greatest, one of my most favorite battle stories in 2 Chronicles 20. Three armies have come against them, and Jehoshaphat is cowering. The Israelites are wondering what to do. They pray, and God says, start walking, start singing, and see what I will do. And when they show up, the three armies have killed each other. What a great victory. Mary, the young maiden, has received news that she is not only pregnant, but pregnant with the Messiah. Millennia, the Israelites have been waiting for this moment. And now it's on her to deliver. And she responds in a great song, which we call the Magnificat. And she praises God and remembers his promises. Paul and Silas, as they are in prison for doing the work of God. They sit and they conspire of how they're going to be use treachery and how they're going to dig holes in the floor and escape from this prison. No, that's the Hollywood version of how you get out of prison. What's Paul and Silas? They sing. And as they begin to sing, their chains fall off. The bars fall off. The doors open wide. And everything is chaos so much that the Philippian jailer is ready to take his life because he knows he's going to be killed for losing his prisoners. And yet God uses that not only to free Paul and Silas, but to convert the Philippian jailer, his family, and eventually we see a church of Philippi with the jailer and Lydia and all those that God worked a great wonder. Oh, how refreshing when we sang that first song today, that last line. Did you hear it? Did you understand it? Though great distress my soul befell, the Lord, my God, did all things 
well. To God be praise and glory. I hope those words, I hope that song comes to our mind and our lips this week. When we face a situation that does not seem peaceful, copacetic, not working out the way we had hoped. A time when God seems to be blasphemed and nobody seems to understand. May we understand that whether it's before God's work or after God's work, whatever situation we're in, we can sing praise to God. We do not have to wait for the victory. We can believe the victory has already happened because God promises it. And he has demonstrated it time and again. Martin Luther, in his uh, introductory remarks about music, said, Next to the word of God, music deserves the highest praise. The gift of language combined with the gift of song was given to man that he should proclaim the word of God through music. Music is a powerful tool that God uses to proclaim his glory, to proclaim his word, and upon it engages into the work of, of his plan, protecting and providing for his people. Luther continues, when musical learning is added to all this, an artistic music which corrects, develops, and refines the natural music, then at last it is possible to taste with wonder, yet not to comprehend God's absolute and perfect wisdom in his wondrous work of music. Music evokes the emotions. And it tends, that tends to be how we use it. We find ourselves in a situation and we find music that will help us in that. And there's a place for that. What God asks for music is that we use it to proclaim his glory, his message, so that we will see him work his victory. It's not just about my emotions, but singing is about proclaiming who God is and what he has done and what he will do. Understanding and realizing God's promises brings a song. And we must be prepared, as Luther said, we must be trained to sing because it's going to happen. We, as God's people, we will find ourselves in a place where we will and should sing. Because Ephesians 5, Paul reminds the Ephesians that that's what happens when you're filled with the Spirit. Do we not hope that each of us would be filled with the Spirit at some point? Is that not one of our prayers, one of our desires, to be filled with the Spirit? Well, when we are filled with the Spirit, we will sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to each other to admonish and encourage one another. That's what the Spirit, that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's how He communicates. 
It's through song and through music. In fact, Paul starts that whole passage by saying, this is the will of God. So two great things. If we want to do God's will and be filled by his spirit, we are going to be singers in every circumstance. Singing shows our faith in God's promises. Singing helps us remember God's faithfulness. Singing communicates God's power and provision. Singing engages God's power and provision. And singing prepares us for eternity. For when we read Revelation, Revelation 19, what is the host of heaven doing but singing, Alleluia, to God Almighty. He is the one who deserves glory and honor and blessing. D.A. Carson says, Worship is the proper response of all moral sentient beings to God, ascribing all honor and worth to their creator. Precisely because he is worthy, delightfully so. So whatever situation we find ourselves in, whether we're working, playing, whether we're at war, whether we are oppressed, we should sing praises to God and watch him to go watch him go to work on our behalf. I'm always reminded of this when we talk about singing because Isaac Newton constantly did this in his work. While he was working on the Principia, officially titled Mathematical Principles of Natural Philosophy, which had nothing to do, of course, with the fine arts. As he's reflecting upon God's creation, he says this most beautiful system of the sun, planets, and comets could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of an intelligent and powerful being. This being governs all things, not as the soul of the world, but as the Lord over all. And on account of his dominion, he is wont to be called Lord God. Do we have the faith of Isaac Newton? Do we have the faith of the woman with a demon-possessed daughter? Do we have the faith of Miriam and Moses and Elijah and Mary and Paul and Silas to sing in whatever moment we find ourselves A good soldier loves to sing about the thrill of victory and the accolades of the great warrior, of their commander-in-chief. Song of Roland is an epic poem written around 1100 A.D. And it recounts the Battle of Roncevaux, which took place in 778 A.D. And this was during the reign of Charlemagne. And so the whole story is a song, poetically. But Roland, who is the faithful nephew of Charlemagne, has been deceived to go into battle and in doing so gets mortally wounded. And as the author recounts this moment in Roland's life, he says, Roland wishes intently that Charles, Charlemagne, and all his army may say, he has died like a conqueror, the noble count. In few words, he confesses himself again and again and holds forth his glove 
to God for his sins. So his role in this facing death, he has been deceived. He has been mortally wounded. His thoughts are, how will people sing about me? How will people remember me? And he's ready to meet God. Roland desires that his example would be a model, an encouragement, a remembrance that would, that would encourage others to continue on the battle. And in one of the great death passages that just is moving, so watch out, you know I get moved. Count Roland has laid himself down beneath a pine tree and has turned his face towards Spain. He began to call many things to mind. The many lands he had conquered, sweet France, and the men of his lineage, and Charlemagne, his lord, who nurtured him. He cannot restrain himself from weeping and sighing, but he is not forgetful himself. He confesses himself and prays God for his mercy. O true father, who didst never lie, thou who didst raise St. Lazarus, from the dead, and save Daniel from the lions. Save my soul from all the perils that beset it on account of the sins which I have committed in my life. He held out his right glove to God and Saint Gabriel took it from his hand. His head was resting on his arm and his hands were clasped and thus he went to his end. God sent his angel cherubim and Saint Michael to peril. With them came St. Gabriel, and they carried the soul of the Count to paradise. Roland is dead. God has his soul in heaven. Is that our hope? Is that our faith? That even if we've been deceived, oppressed, and we are sitting there dying, we are thinking about Our song. We're thinking about our story and our God and how it's going to be used by God. What will be the account of our life? Will it be the victories or will it be the cowering? What will our commanders say when we stand before Him? Well done, good and faithful servant, or depart from me, I never knew you. What will be our song? Glory to God in the highest. Or man, I've got I to gotta feel good today. As we remember, like Jeremiah, that we have been appointed to this life by God. We have been trained by his word. We have been commissioned by Christ. We are sustained by our spirit. We are led by the great commander in chief, the dread warrior. We will then sing... A song to our Lord God Almighty, for he is worth all glory and praise. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let's pray. Almighty God, you have given your only Son to be, us, to be for us a sacrifice for sin, and also an example of godly life. Give us grace to receive, thankfully, the fruits of of his redeeming work, and to follow daily in the blessed steps of the most holy life. 
through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit and has taught us Which one of you, if a son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to get good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him? The Lord is pleased to give good gifts. Even more pleased is he to do this than fathers granting gifts to their children. Even his trials are good for those that love him and are called according to his purposes. And this is not always easy to be seen. And this is why it requires us to have faith. That faith grows by knowing that the Father, by knowing the Father through the Son and through the Holy Spirit. We see him work his goodness towards us in all things, and we grow in faith to believe that whatever our current hard thing is, he will make this good too. His best gift was his Son, Jesus. His faithfulness, his sacrifice, his concern, his prayer, his body, and his blood. The multiple benefits that accrue to our favor start with Christ. He is presented to you here today at this table. Eat and drink of Jesus, and the rivers of living water will flow from you. This is good reason to give thanks. Christ's body, broken for us. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.